My name is Rachel. This is my husband, Scott, and our daughter, Nora, and we've been a part of the chapel for four years. So our daughter, Nora, was born last November, and she was born with Piero band sequence. So she has a cleft palate, and her jaw was really far back when she was born. So she was taken um, straight to children's and um, had surgery when she was two weeks old to move her jaw forward so that her airway could be open. And in that month, um, the church community was so incredible because it was probably, I'd say, the hardest month of our lives. And um, people did everything for us. They set up a meal plan for us and um, brought meals to the hospital, coffee and lunch and everything. I think community, you know, it, it, uh, its veins run through every aspect of, of our lives and what we do and what we're part of. You know, we are part of a life group, you know, um, you know you, you've been part of the children's ministry, I've been part of worship and, you know, how we've gotten to know people in, in the Robinson community and just how impactful I feel like we've been able to be and how impactful people have been on us for the four years we've been at the chapel. Well, is that enough cuteness to get your Sunday morning started? <laughs> Adorable, baby Nora. Um, well, the weather this weekend, not so much my favorite. It's a kind of reminder that fall is upon us and also a reminder that Thanksgiving, believe it or not, a month away, just right around the corner. And the only reason I bring that up is because Celebration Weekend is the weekend right before Thanksgiving. And um, what it is, is that's the time where we kind of press the pause button in our normal uh, pace of things on Sunday morning, and we stop to celebrate what God is doing in the lives, your lives, that he calls, has called to this church. And a big part of that, um, that weekend are baptisms, and, and, the, and the people's stories that are told basically serve as the, the sermons that weekend. And I just wanted to make you aware of that because we're having a, a class um, to understand what it means to be baptized right after this service at uh, 1230 down in room 107 and each of the campuses as well. Just to understand what it means. God commands us to be baptized, to believe and to be baptized, Jesus said. And um, I know many times we talk to people that finally take that step of obedience and they're like, I don't know what took me so long. God places on my heart five years ago or 10 years ago. I encourage you to take that step of obedience and to be baptized um, following him in that weekend before Thanksgiving, class right after this. All right, let's, we're going to turn to God's words. We continue our series together, but for, before we do that, let's bow our heads and ask him to lead us. Dear Father, I just thank you for the way you allow us an opportunity to stand freely and sing songs and praise of worship to you, to study your word of God together, to support and love one another as a body of believers. Father, thank you for the, the amazing privilege that that is. So Father, today we come before you just open and raw and real to hear what your word has to say to us this morning. We ask you to move in our hearts and to guide our thoughts this morning as we dedicate this next time to you today. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes all this possible, and it's in his name that we all pray together. Amen. Okay, we're in the middle of a series of sermons called Necessary Connections. This is, it's, a, it's a sermon series about the church, about the church, our local body here in Washington and Robinson and Wilkinsburg online here at the South Hills, that, that we're a, a local church. We're a body of believers meant to work for his good, partnering together. 
And this series is also about the larger church body, the entirety of the body of Christ. As we like to say, the big C, all of us working together to do God's will so God can save his people. That's what this sermon series is about. And we feel that this is so important because we want to be the community of believers that God's created us to be. So we want to understand what it means to, to live with one another, to challenge to one another, to support one another, to, 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 to really the, the way we are supposed to live in community with each other. And there's so many great things going on um, at the church. I want to take just a moment to share a real uh, email with you from a family, the Greckies. Many of you know them and they've had some struggles, um, some health struggles recently. And listen to what they wrote to our Someone Cares team. It says, many, many times the Lord knew how many times a night I would be up or when my pain would be severe and I would be open, I would open the mail to find a card for dinner that night and encouraging scripture or I would get a phone call that morning when I could barely think clearly and someone would say that they were bringing us a meal. We were blown away by the body of Christ at work at the Bible chapel. When we first started coming to the chapel, we wondered how we would ever feel at home or feel as if we had a church family because the church was so big. And I'm here to tell you that it didn't take long at all for us to get plugged in, to make friends, join groups, find ministries and callings, and for us to fill in home. This is our church and our church family, and we are so grateful. So in closing, we can never thank you all enough. Is We won't be needing meals any longer. And instead of us doing meals, we want to join your team. So we can serve meals to those that are in need. That is the way that the body is supposed to work. Caring for and loving one another when we need that. To challenge each other when we need that. And God is doing many amazing things at the Bible chapel. As a body believer, God has been a blessing to us. We've been a blessing to each other. The church is growing. We've got vibrant multi-sites. We've got a vibrant online campus. We have the opportunities you saw in that video to, to give back to those who are in need through Operation Christmas Child and sending gifts throughout the world. We also have, we talked about the launch of our Psalm 139 special needs ministry and what a blessing that is to so many. And God continues to pour out his blessings, not only on our staff, but the church as well. And I want to invite out our director of our special needs ministry, Jacqueline, to introduce you to our newest staff member. Hi. Hi, this is Lucy. Lucy is an eight-week-old Bernese Mountain Dog who was donated to the ministry um, from one of the congregants here. <laughs> um, we are working on training her to be a therapy dog. Right now, she's just a little hyper puppy. Um, but we You're went with the Bernese. Supposed to be calm. We went with the Bernese Mountain Dog because they're pretty. They are intelligent, even though you can't tell right now. But she's intel. They're intelligent and um, they're really um, easily trained and just mellow dogs. So we're hoping that this time next year um, she'll be certified and we'll have her in the classrooms, um, helping with our kids with anxiety and um, other issues. So, yeah. So let's thank God for a blessing from Lucy. Yeah. It is going to be fun to watch her grow up in front of our eyes. She will ultimately be a 100-pound dog. 
And, um, but she helps just with a, a soothing environment to give, be able to help the kids focus and overcome some social things. So again, the, work, the church working, providing what the ministry needed. And like we have all said throughout this whole series, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. But we know because we're involved and because we're sinners, the church doesn't always work the way that it's supposed to to. We know that. At times, like we see Scott and Rachel and baby Nora on the screen, at the same time that they're being ministered to, there were some of you that could be here today that maybe felt disconnected or disillusioned or disappointed inside of the church. You know, and I have to say that, that, that as a leadership team, I kind of felt some of this this week. And I don't I know if many of you saw, but there was an article in our local small town paper, The Almanac, right on the front page of it that talked about a young man that was making his journey, went back to Rome, and was in a process of becoming a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. It's actually a very beautiful story. It's an amazing story. It's kind of even kind of special to us at the chapel because the, the family, the Potters, actually attended the church for a while before they felt called back to go to the Catholic Church. But the disappointing thing for the leadership team and for me personally was that the opening sentences of this story inferred that someone at the Bible chapel told them as they were leaving the church to go back to the Catholic church is that she would lose her sons if she went back to the church. And that bothered me to the core. And the good news is that I didn't or Ron or Bill did not react that evening. Because on Wednesday morning, Heidi Potter, Adam's mother, left work and showed up at our church office. She felt terrible about what was written in that paper. She apologized profusely, insisting that she did not say what was portrayed in that newspaper. And in fact, she went on to say that they were blessed and loved their time at the church. We were so grateful that she reached out to us because we would never want to communicate. We know that this church isn't for everybody. We would never communicate that to somebody coming out. We're so grateful we didn't respond. And that experience to me was really a valuable reminder that how we respond to one another, how we react to one another, how we talk to one another, how we respect one another, how we view one another is so incredibly important, not only within the body, but also as we interact with the community and the community watching us, being able to take the time to understand one another, to forgive one another. But I have to ask, why is that so hard for us to do? It's almost like doing a yoga pose. Right? It's just unnatural for us. When we think about our first reaction is we want to attack and we want to defend. The first thing I wanted to do was write that lady a letter on Tuesday night saying, our church would not have communicated that. I wanted to defend ourselves. I wanted to defend our church, defend our staff, defend our congregation. See, our our power or our desire 
to, to, to seek to be understood so many times outpowers our desire to understand. And that's what gets us in trouble. And if we admit it, just it's too often that we're ready to engage in this battle and take somebody on because, they're, because their point of view is a little bit different or they think a little bit differently than we do or they react a little bit differently than we do. And sometimes we find them or we think we got them on something, we're just all too willing to kick them. And sometimes we get ourselves so worked up in a lather about something, we just like to kick people for the sake of kicking them. Do you know how you get in that mood? You're just ready to go to battle almost on anything at a drop of a hat. Well, maybe you can relate to this. I heard about a lawyer that, that moved, into, moved into the area. Come in uh, from Texas with this uh, Marcellus shell stuff going on and bought a new house with a piece of property that bordered up next to this, um, next to this farm. And his kids were out in the backyard playing with this remote-controlled truck, and the truck actually went over on the farmer's property and got stuck. Well, the attorney went over to grab this, this truck, and as soon as he went to grab it, this, this farmer popped out of nowhere. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm retrieving my son's truck. He goes, oh, no, you don't. That truck's on my property. And the lawyer kind of looked at him and said, that, 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 that's my son's truck, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to sue you. And the farmer looked at him and kind of chuckled and said, Yins ain't from around here, are you? <laughs> In a slow draw, the, the attorney said, yeah, no, nope, we're not. And the farmer replied, well, apparently you don't know how we settle things around here in Pittsburgh. We have something that's called the three-kick rule. And that's how we settle these small disputes like this. And the lawyer looked at him and says, well, what is the Pittsburgh three-kick rule? And the farmer said, well, I'm going to kick you three times. And when I'm done, you can kick me three times. I'm going to kick you three times. This will go on and on until one of us quit. Whoever quit loses, and they can have the truck. Well, the attorneys start thinking, I can take this old codger down. I'm ready. Come on, let's go. So the old farmer gets down off the tractor with his steel-toed boots on. He kicks him right in the shin. The lawyer gives his dazed look on his eye. He starts to bend over. The farmer kicks him right in the knee. In his mind-numbing pain, the lawyer drops to his knees. As he's going down, the farmer kicks him right in the stomach. Trying to gather himself together, the attorney stands up and said, All right, you old coot, it's my turn now. The farmer looked at him and smiled and said, nah, No, it's not. You can have the truck. You see, when we are so passionate about something, defending our position, we're ready to go into battle. Even maybe even participate in a Pittsburgh three-kick rule. But why is it so much easier for us to engage in those, to see the differences in other people, to let them grate on us, to engage us in a battle with them, than it is to find common ground? and to work to move forward. Because so many times we think we're better than someone else. We think we're a little bit more important than somebody else. That somehow that our education or our social status or our, 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 our 
our family line, whatever it is, that somehow we think we're just a little bit better than somebody else. Well, those that made up the early church had this exact same issue. That as we'll see, they not only struggled with lawsuits and immorality and, and, and just generally misbehaving with each other, not supporting one another, they also were starting to struggle with a division that was coming inside of the church. And the source of this division that was happening was because the, the people with certain spiritual gifts were saying and acting like their spiritual gift was more important than somebody else. And they were putting the emphasis on one set of spiritual gifts and not another emphasis of spiritual gifts. And that was going on when Paul decides, when he wrote, writes this first letter. And guess what? This, first, this church is the same church that we've been talking about the last two weeks, the Corinthians. So take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend our time today. So as you're turned there, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about the spiritual gifts because this is where the heart of the matter, which Paul is addressing. And what I want to do is kind of to level set a little bit because there is a difference between natural abilities or talents and spiritual gifts. See, natural abilities or talents is something that we are born with. Some of us are fast some of us are strong. Some of us are uh, smart in the sciences. Some of us are smart in the arts. We have different passions, different skills. This is the way that we're, we, we were born, the way that God constructed us. Okay, some of these we have some more of, and some of them we don't have any at all. Use this as an example. Right? I love baseball. I love playing baseball. I love coaching my son's baseball. I love being around the baseball field. But I'm telling you now, I don't care how much I play, I don't care how much I practice, I will never throw a baseball 100 miles an hour. That's never going to happen. Let alone do it consistently and throw it over the plate to be able to play Major League Baseball. That's never going to happen. God just did not give me that ability or that talent to do that. Okay? We use our abilities and talents in the vocations in which we serve. Right? Some of us teach art. Some of us are engineers. Some of us are doctors. That's what the talents and the brains that God has given us. Now, the spiritual gifts are different. And they're just what it says. It is a gift from God. It's a gift from God for his servant that we receive when we become a believer in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, the grace bestowed upon us as we accept Jesus as our personal Savior. Okay, you guys with me on that? All right, so in Scripture, there are three primary places where the spiritual gifts are laid out for us. It's Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, and Romans chapter 12. Now, for illustration purposes um, what I want to do is I want to kind of share a, um, a, a grouping, if you will, that um, Chuck Swindoll um, suggests, and he bases this off of 1 Peter 4.11, where it talks there about being two primary, two primary groupings of gifts. Okay, that first grouping are called speaking, speaking gifts. 
evolved around the way we communicate with one another. Creative communication, encouraging, evangelism, leadership, wisdom, prophecy, pastor shepherding, um, teaching, and wisdom. Okay, that group of gifts found in Scripture generally come together under a speaking gift grouping. The second grouping is called our service gifts. Administration, apostleship, craftsmanship, discernment, faith, giving, helps, intercession, hospitality, and knowledge. Okay, if you want to find out what our giving gifts, we all have these gifts. If you haven't taken a spiritual gift inventory, there's a number of them out there. There's one on our website. You go on, you just answer some questions, and it immediately gives you back the results on the way that the gifts that God gave to you as you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, in Scripture, there's a third group of gifts called the sign gifts. Distinguishing spirits, miracles, healings, tongues, and interpretation. Okay, this third grouping of gifts are temporary in nature. They were critical for the early life of the church. Okay, they were to mark an apostle in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 2.12, the things that mark an apostle. Wonders, miracles, and signs were done among you with great perseverance. Right, so these gifts, these sign gifts, marked the apostle. They were used to validate the messenger, right? Because Jesus had returned to heaven. Okay, they were used to hearing directly from Jesus. So now he left back the apostles to start the early church. And these gifts were given to those apostles to validate that they were from God. And that the message that they had and the teaching that they had were from God. These sign gifts were temporary in nature and they ended with the apostolic age. I'm not going to say any more about that. Our, our position on that is found on our website and you can read about it there. Okay, so to address these spiritual gifts, Paul uses the body, the analogy of a body. Now Paul in his writing uses several analogies to talk about the church. He talks about it as a family. He talks about it as an army. He talks about it as a temple. He even talks about it as a bride. But three times in three of his letters, he talks about the church in the form of a body. Now, each one of these give an important lesson for the function of the church. But there's three important truths that Paul nails in each of his letters about the church um, when he talks about the body. And those three truths are unity, diversity, and maturity. And if you guys email me, I can send you the chapters and verses that make up um, out of 1 Corinthians, Roman, and Ephesians, which talk about unity, diversity, and maturity. Now, maturity, two weeks ago, we talked about, um, we covered maturity. And we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, which was the love chapter. Okay, so how does maturity and love tie together? Okay, with the main evidence of our maturity as a, as a believer, as our maturity as a body is demonstrated by our growing love for God and our growing love for each other. So as we mature, as we mature in our faith, as we mature in a church, our love for God and our love for each other will continue to grow. That's the maturity piece that Paul's talking about. If you want to read more about that, uh, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 
the sermon from two weeks ago is online. And so that love is what undergirds the use of our gifts. Okay, that's kind of what grounds us in using it, the way we're supposed to use them in interacting with each other. Okay, so now we're going to study today is we're going to talk about unity and we're going to talk about diversity. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 12. The first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians 12 talks about unity. Paul talks about his being together. The bounds talks about diversity. So let's start by looking at diversity. I'm sorry, unity. 1 Corinthians 12, chapters, um, verses 1 to 3. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and left astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one says, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So right out of the chute, what Paul was saying right there is, hold on a second. You've got all these arguments going on, promoting all the gifts that you've been giving. You guys got to realize we are on the same team. We're all on the same team. None of you is more important than the other one. We confess the same Lord. We have the same Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Listen, you're on the same team. Quit arguing. That's how Paul starts this chapter. Look at verses 4 to 6. He goes on. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same work, the same God works all of them in all men. So after reminding us that we are all on the same page, that regarding, regardless of what our gifting is, it all comes from the same God. He is the source of all the gifts in every single person, the same God. And what Paul was saying here, look at this. Look a little bit closely at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts. What Paul's saying there are, the gifts he's talking about, there are abilities for service. He gives us the gifts, whether it's creative communication or evangelism, pastor or, te uh, pastor or teacher. He gives us that gift. It's a gift from him. It's the ability to do service. Verse 5 says there are different kinds of of service. Okay, so what we're talking about there is that um, those are the ministry opportunities or the service opportunities in which God gives us to use our gifts. And then lastly, working, it says working in verse 7, there are different kind of workings. What he's talking about there is the result of service. So God is the source of the gifts, God is the one that gives us the ministry opportunity or context for us to use our gift. And that last verse is God's responsibility for the working or the outcome of using our gifts. See, like if we have the gift of evangelism, if God gives you the gift of evangelism, you can have that gift and be a teacher. You can have that gift and be a, an engineer. You can have that gift and be a hairdresser. All people with the gift of evangelism don't work inside the church. Okay, so God gives you the gift. 
God gives you the ministry context in which you use your gift, and God is responsible for the working or the outcome of you using that gift. So that's what Paul's saying in those first seven verses. Okay, six verses. Then he goes on to say, those gifts in which you've been entrusted aren't for you, they are for the body. They are for the common good. Look at verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through, um, through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To the other, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Okay, Paul is saying these are for the common good back in verse 7. They're not for you. They're not for your personal edification. They are to serve one another. I gave you that gift so you can care for one another and love one another. And these Corinthians needed reminded of this because they were using this gift in this self-promoting, self-indulgent kind of way. And I'm sure none of us are guilty in that here today, huh? And in his last push for unity, he reminds us that the working of all of this, that this all comes from the working of the one true Holy Spirit that happened upon their conversion. Look at verses 12 and 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So in the body, we are, you were unified. We are unified as a body of believers knowing that we all confess the same Lord. We depend on the same God. We minister to the same body and we have all experienced the same baptism by the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has had that exact experience in our lives and we are unified in that. And so before we get busy taking credit for any of that and running our mouths about how great we are, we need to remember that that all comes from God. No one is higher and no one is lower. Everyone is on the same page. That's what Paul was saying. We are unified in the Lord in all of that. And so, but with this foundation of unity in place, God created diversity inside of the body. You see, we're not all the same people. We can look around and see that. We know that through our campuses. We know that when we look at the big C, the big church, we're all very different people. We're wired differently. We have different talents and abilities. We have different passions. We have different spiritual gifts. So within this unity that we have, there's diversity among us. And this diversity is to be appreciated. It's to be, a, a, diversity is supposed to be 
okay because God made it that way. See, diversity cannot be the reason for the justification of our arguments and our judgmental nature with each other. God's created us to be diverse. Look at verse 14, 14 through 20. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for the reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. What Paul was saying here is for the body to be healthy, that is to to live, to grow, to thrive, that the body parts have to have different functions. Some of those functions and some of the things are more visible. Some of those things are less visible. If If we look at our physical body, right? You see my face. You see my hands. You see my arms. Very visible parts of what's going on. But my face, my hands, my arms wouldn't be worth much without my liver and without my pancreas. Right? It's, it works together. One part is not more important than the other. The same is true for our body as a whole as a church. Think about our church staff. Right? Ron and Kirk and I have the privilege of, of leading you from up front. But I can tell you what. This church service isn't happening without Kurt DiMarino and Jen Savavik and Wes Heilman and Charlotte Friel and um, um, Donna Franco and Carol Consoli. This isn't happening without them. And you would pass them in a hallway. Most of you would not even know who they are. But they're a vital part of our church staff. Again, the same thing is true for the body as a whole. God needs us to be different and has placed us here to play the part in which he's given us. There's not a single part in this church body that is more important or less important, right? Diversity does not mean inferiority. It means different. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in a body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, every part of the body, you and me, we need to to work together for the church to be healthy. One piece, one part of the puzzle is not more important 
than another one. And he needs us to work in a healthy way to function within his will to be the church that God created us to be so we can do the things that he wants us to do. And it's just like our physical body is the church. If we have a part of our body which is weak and sick, the body as a whole struggles to be itself. Right? If our liver's not functioning, if our heart's not the way that it should be, if we lost a limb, it's harder to walk. So the body struggles. What's well, the same thing with the church? When we're not using our gifts and pulling our weight within the church body and serving one another, we're not as healthy and strong and thriving the way that we should be. Get an unhealthy part in it. And that's why we all need to do our role. All right, look at verse 27. Now you were the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And in church, God is appointed first to the apostles, second to prophets, third to teachers, and the workers of the miracles. Also have the gifts of healing. Those are able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now the way this is written um, in the Greek, it says, all are apostles, all are prophets, all are teachers. These are rhetorical questions, right? You can't, you can't answer these questions other than no. Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? See, what Paul was saying here is that the diversity of the members fulfills God's will inside of the body. He is the one that assigns us to gifts. He's the one that gives us our ministry opportunity to use our gifts. And he is the one that determines the outcome. As a body, Big C and our little church body here within the Bible Chapel, we have every gift we need at the present time to fulfill God's will for us. Paul told the Corinthian church this, right out of the shoot in his letter, chapter 1, verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. See, we have to learn to accept one another in this diversity. We're different. We're made with different abilities and talents. We're given different gifts. We're given different ministry contexts in using our gifts. And we all are relying on God for the outcome. See, he needs us to be unified in our diversity so we can fulfill his will as a church. I love how uh, we're reading a book as a, as a church staff. It's called Total Church. Now, the authors, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, really put this well. It says, listen to this. He says, our commitment to one another, despite our differences, and our grace toward one another's failures, are more eloquent testimony to the grace of God than any perfect pretense. It's how we respond to each other that matters. Right? We're watching each other respond. We watch how we respect one another, how we love one another, how we forgive one another. And you think that we're watching, what do you think the outside world is doing? 
how we respond to one another, how we ex- accept this diversity in this unity, that is way more powerful than the perfect pretense of putting on our pretty Sunday clothes and walking in and out of church. This is how we live our lives. So as we get set to celebrate communion, to celebrate that Jesus died on a cross for you and me so we can have those gifts and carry out his work, I'm going to let you and ask you to wrestle with God about the use of the gifts and which he's entrusted to you. Have you taken the gift seriously? Are you using the gift for the good of the body? Are you able, in using that gift in your ministry context, are you able to look at your brother and sister in Christ and accept them for the way that God's created them to be? Or do we spend more time sitting in in judgment about what someone else is doing instead of being focused on what is God asking us to do with what he's given us? Now, community, communion here at the Bible Chapel is for those that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to pass out the cup. We're going to take it together. As it passes, I'm going to ask you, there's two cups there. Pick them both up. They come together. But ask God to examine your heart where you are on this issue with the use of what God's entrusted to you and the way that you view those around which God has placed you and the privilege of serving. And let him challenge you. And if you haven't placed your trust in Christ, I'm going to ask you to take the, let the cup and bread pass and use this time as, a, as, a, as a, an opportunity to, to reflect on why God has you here, that he's made you for a reason. And he's got a gift that's waiting for you if you accept his son as your personal savior, not only eternal life, but the unbelievable privilege of serving him here and now. Dear Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge, Father, that we are united in you, although made very differently. We thank you for the privilege and honor It is to serve you in that capacity. We ask you to work on our hearts right now as we celebrate your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray together. Amen.